Now, for the endless fat embolism, fat embolism, um, there was it is a, it is a life-threatening complication when there is a long bone fracture in um, in the endless. So for the for fat embolism, there will be a blood thin sputum. When there is a blood thin sputum, that's a number one signs and symptoms for fat embolism. Um, the client might have pink fratted sputum, meaning the client's sputum might look like blood. It might be pinkish in appearance. There might be increased ESR. The erectile sedimentation rate might be higher than normal and the client might be faced with a respiratory alkalosis in the case of fat embolism. The client will also have hypocalcemia, decreased level of calcium within the blood and the client will have increased lipid serum. Um, and the client can have a snowstorm. The snowstorm is a cardinal signs a cardinal signs on the x-ray so a client who has fat embolism if you do an x a chest x-ray for that client they're going to have what we call a snowstorm picture snowstorm on the client chest it is uh like how you can see the snowstorm when there's a snow blazer when there's a snowstorm coming how the arrow will look like that's how the client x-ray of the chest will appear when you visualize the x-ray of the chest so these are just cardinal signs for fat embolism. So fat embolism, whenever there's a, there's a fracture of the lung bone, um, we're going to have a lot of symptoms of fat embolism coming. And these symptoms are just what I just talked about. Then, um, whenever you have uh, drugs that we gave for hypo, hypotension and vasoconstriction. These medications can alter the accuracy of O2 saturation. So whenever we give these medications for hypotension and vasoconstriction, they can change or they can alter how accurate our O2, our O2 saturation is. So in the end class also, when a client has, when a client is neither diagnosed with hypertension, the best thing the nurse want to do is the nurse want to check the BP in the both arms, in the ankle. So if you have any answer that we check the BPs in the both arms, that would be the correct answer for assessment of a client with newly diagnosed hypertensive condition. We check the BPs in the both arms. You want to make sure also in the ankles, you want to know your cranial nerves. These cranial nerves are important to know in the ankles. You want to know the cranial nerves, the olfactory nerves, the optic nerve, the ocular motor nerve, the trochlear nerve, the trigeminal nerve, the abducens nerves, the facial nerves, the vestibular cochlear nerve or the auditory nerve. You want to know the glossopharyngeal nerve, you want to know the vagus nerve, the accessory nerve, and the last 
which is the hypoglossal nerve. These cranial nerves, you want to know their function, their individual functions. You want to know their joint function. It's important to know these things in the ankle. It's very, very important. Please look at the cranial nerve. It is important. And also for cultural, our cult cultural is a big thing on the ankle, like I said before. For cultural, the Greek, the Greek put on an amulet or any other use of protective charms around their baby's neck to avoid evil eyes or envy of other people. So you will see the Greek, they will put some things around, some black chalk around the baby's eyes uh, or around, around the baby's neck like a chalk or charms. That is common. You will see that with the Greek uh, culture. So just look out for it. It is to avoid evil eyes or evil of other people that are coming around the child. That's their culture. For the Jewish, no meat and milk together. The Jewish do not mix meat and milk together. The Jewish do not mix meat and milk together. Um, certain conditions in the U.S. is more prevalent in, in some states than other states, like like the limb disease, which state in the U.S. that they have huge amount of limb disease occurrences? It is in 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 uh, in, Connecticut, in Connecticut is where we have the limb disease prevalence. The, 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 the incident rate of limb disease in there is very high in Connecticut. So you want to look at that also. Um, when a client has diabetes one quick and good example to differentiate hypo from hyperglycemia is in hyperglycemia the client will appear hot and dry when they have hyperglycemia the skin will appear hot or warm and dry in hypoglycemia the skin appears cool and clammy. So in hyperglycemia, in hyperglycemia, the sugar is high. You're gonna have hot and dry skin. In hypoglycemia, the sugar is low, they will have cold, clammy skin, and they will need something to increase their sugar. And you all know the sun symptoms for for, for hypoglycemia. They will have, they will have, um, they will be, they will, they will just, just as when you're hungry, the skin you're going to feel with hunger, like your body shivering, those are things you're going to see. And with hyperglycemia, the skin you're going to see with, with the three P's, fruity breath smell, those are things you're going to feel also in hyperglycemia. Now, um, you want to remember your insulin, your insulin, you want to remember the insulin very well. The insulin, you want to remember it very well. Regular is clear, and you do not want to put dirty needle into a clear insulin. So, the regular insulin, clouded, is pulled in first. You put air into the NPH. The NPH always you put air into the uh, into the valve, then uh, air into the regular one. Then you draw up. The regular insulin, then you draw up the Y, the NPH. 
So you're putting air into the both valve, you will draw up the regular for before the NPH. That's a common one we say R and it's very common. Now, for oral hypoglycemic agents, oral hypoglycemic agent, we do not attempt to give an oral hypoglycemic agent to an unconscious patient, never. They do not take oral hypoglycemic agent. Um, it might pose risk to them for what? Aspiration. And uh, for them, they will have a typical adverse reaction to those medications, which is ratchets. Or they might have photosensitivity reaction from those conditions. Then we look at the HbA1c. The HbA1c, it is uh, a test that is done to assess our blood sugar, how our body has been, how our body insulin has been making use of our blood sugar for the past uh, to one hundred days. So that's three to four months. How our body has been making use, how our body has been breaking down our blood, the insulin has been breaking down our blood sugar over the past 90 to 120 days. Um, four, to, four to six corresponds to a blood sugar of 70 to 110. Seven is ideal for diabetic patient and blood sugar of 130. That means if you look in the book, um, four to six. The level of 4-6% is normal for individuals who do not have blood sugar problem. If they do have blood sugar problem, anything around uh, 7 is in the control for them. Anything above 7 is not good for them. For clients who have HB, uh, who are diabetes and going for HbA1c. Um, in the case of a... Uh, Fluids. Fluids are most important when it comes to HHNS and DKA. So, in DKA and HHNS, we agree that the client is having high blood sugar. But in that case, insulin is not our priority. Our priority is in uh, HHNS condition and in the case of DKA, our priority becomes fluid. We want to push in fluid into the blood or into the body to dilute the blood cells so that we can, before we can put in insulin. So our priority in DKA or HNS condition or diabetic complication, our priority becomes fluid before insulin or medication. Um, why treating DKA? When we are treating DKA, Bringing the glucose down too far and too fast can result into increased intracranial pressure due to water being pulled into the CSF. So when we are treating DKA, we do not want to pull down blood glucose too fast because it will create increased intracranial pressure. So we will do it slowly and timely and monitor every aspect about the increased intracranial pressure. Um, serum acetones and serum ketones can get on the increase in the case of DKA. That's why we call them ketones. They call them diabetic ketoacidosis. There are ketones that are increasing. The ketones and acetones are increased in the case of diabetic ketoacidosis. 
So we're gonna watch out for it. So as you treat the acid, the, the client for acidosis and dehydration, you expect there should be a drop in potassium rapidly. So that's why when a client is receiving treatment for DKA, we have to have potassium medication available because there will be a drop in the serum potassium when we are treating the acidosis in DKA condition. So in that case, we can administer potassium to level up the level of the potassium reduction, which is the hypokalemia in the case of DKA. Then with HHNS, um, there is no ketosis. In DKA, there is ketones formations. In HHNS, there is no ketones and there is no acidosis. Um, in HHNS, potassium is low due to diuresis. In HHNS, there is no ketosis, there is no acidosis, but there is low level of potassium, which we call hypokalemia due to diuresis. So in this case, um, extra insulin may be needed for a patient who is taking prednisolone. That's why we do not restrict these drugs with the insulins. If a client is on insulin, they can still take prednisolone. But what we're going to do as nurses is to always advocate to increase the dose of the white insulin because the prednisolone will increase the blood sugar. So if a client was taking one uh, uh, one unit of insulin at a particular time during this period, when a client is on uh, when a client is on this medication, the client wants to also increase the the, the, the insulin to meet up the demands of the body increase in blood sugar due to the prednisolone or due to the steroid medication because steroids can cause increase in glucose level. Now, um, in second voidiurine is most accurate when testing for ketones and glucose. So the first voidiurine, we do not use it for the test for ketones and glucose. It is not accurate. The second voidiurine is the most accurate urine that we want to test for ketones and glucose when a client is being tested. We want to give NSAID corticosteroid drugs for bipolar, cephalosporins, and sulfonamides with food. So we give NSAID corticosteroids, bipolar medication, cephalosporins, and sulfonamides with food. If we give this drug without food, they're going to cause gastric irritation. Whenever we are prescribed growth hormone to take growth hormones, we always take it in the evening. Growth hormones. Steroids are taken in the morning. Diuretics are taken in the morning. Um, like uh, drugs for Alzheimer's medication. Alzheimer's medication like uh, the donepizil, they are given in the morning. Those just to control the patient mood. Just think about it. Mood is mood medication are given mostly in the morning hours. 
to control the mood, to make you to look good in the day. That's why these drugs are administered in the day. Antacids are given after meals or before meals, two hours before meals or four hours after meals. Antacid. Um, if you are to miss any two different antipsychotics, um, like Hardor, Thoraxine, Prolexine, you should be you should mix you should, you should, you, they should be mixed with fluids and uh, caffeine should not be given along with those antipsychotic medication they are contraindicated in them and also um, with apple juice we do not want to we do not mix apple juice with those antipsychotic medication then we'll look at um We'll look at bronco. We'll look at drugs. Uh, Antipsychotic medications. Their main problem is bronchospasm. They have some anaphylactic reaction, and for them, they can cause bronchospasm as anaphylactic reaction for the an, uh, for the antipsychotic medication. Um, glucagon. So, glucagon can increase the effect of oral anticoagulant. So, if the client is on oral anticoagulant, like uh, in the case of uh, warfarin or coumadin, and you administer glucagon, glucagon will increase the effect of the oral anticoagulant. So, um, all the SAC medication. All the SAC medication, the antipsychotic medication, one of the first generation, second generation, or second generation medication for SAC, for, for SAC, for SAC disorders, they, are, they all have the same side effect. They all have similar side effect. The only one that is different among them is lithium. Lithium is different among them. They all have, they can cause hypotension. They can decrease the BP. So, so we want to remove that for them. Um, there are other medication that we gave for, uh, for, for like a, like for anti-arrhythmic medication, anti-arrhythmic medication, like Virapamil. These are calcium kind of blockers. They are used to treat hypertension. You want to assess for constipation. Like we all know for digoxin, we take the pause. Any pause Less than 60, we hold the medication. We want to check both potassium and the DIX levels for the medication. The digoxin level, if we serve it, we'll check for potassium and the level of digoxin because potassium has a direct effect on the heart. I'm saying this because the other night, Florine had a question about, she sent me a question about digoxin and potassium. Florian, you remember, right? You sent me you sent me a question about the joxin and potassium, right? You remember you sent me a question about, about, yeah? about potassium. It was about potassium. Yeah. So we I'll ask him why 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 because we had a question where the potassium was, was 3.5 uh, to 5. And then they said that the, the question was like, what should we do? And then they say they should check the potassium, that the potassium is, is was low, and then we we're like, why is it low? Then you are then you told me that. In DKA, when you go to apoglycemia, the potassium will 
Angolo to, to prevent that, they give potassium to prevent that because they don't know how your body is going to react. And I just didn't answer to it now. Okay. All right. So those are things that you want to look at. Um, whenever you are getting the joxin, you want to check the client potassium level and check the client the joxin blood level. It is important to check them very well. For adenosine, uh, when a client has atrial tachycardia, adenosine is a treatment of choice for that. We have that in one of our audios, and I also wrote that, and we look at all those things. Um, for diazepam, is a tranquilizer to reduce anxiety before <coughs> uh, 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 before surgery. We also give it in other condition. They are benzodiazepines. We have like a metazolam. Metazolam is also an anesthetic agent that is given for conscious sedation. Watch out for depression and hypertension for metazolam. For chloro, for chlorodiazepoxide, the chlorodiazepoxide is a treatment for alcohol withdrawal. You remember we talked about this medication while doing alcohol withdrawals? We'll talk about them. We don't take alcohol with this medication. They're going to cause nausea, severe nausea and vomiting. So if you're an alcoholic and you're on alcohol withdrawal and take this medication with alcohol, they're going to give you a bad effect. Then we have hydroxazine. Hydroxazine is a treatment of anxiety as well as eating. Um, commonly administered as pre-op medication and it causes dry mouth in this case. So we watch out for hydroxyzine, or we call it Vesterol in some case, Vesterol. We have lorazepam. Lorazepam is Ativan. It's a treatment of choice for status epilepticus. When a client is having epilepsy that cannot go away. So we can give the client lorazepam, or we give the client diazepam, or we should call it diastat. And then uh, there are several things surrounding this that I talk about in one of our audios. So you want to look at um, when do we administer diastat when a client is having seizure and uh, what are the nursing implications to administer diastat. We have drugs like, uh, um, like the anti-asthmatic medications, like uh, the chromoline sodium aerosol inhaler. It is used to treat common allergy it also induce uh, also induce uh, common artery induced asthma. It can cause bronchospasm. So before you administer it, you have to check and make sure everything is okay before you administer it. There are some antibiotics like the aminoglycoside. They have average effects. Um, they can cause nephrotoxic or kidney problem, or they can also cause autotoxic effect to the ear. Like the aminoglycoside, gentamicin, for aminoglycoside, gentamicin can cause that. The biggest thing for sulfur medication, sulfur drugs, they can cause Steven Johnson syndrome. They can cause rashes on the skin. So when a client is on sulfur drugs, you got to watch out for those symptoms. Example is the sulfur methoxazole and the trimethoprine. They, those, those two combined just are called septrin. We call them they are they are they are septrin. They contain sulfur. So this medication, if the client is allergic to sulfur medication, they do not take sulfur metazaxol and trametoprine. 
is S-U-L-F-A-M-E-T-H-O-X-A-Z-O-L-E, sulfamethoxazole, or trimatoprene is T-R-I-M-E-T-H-O-P-R-I-M, trimatoprene or sulfamethoxazole. Um, you do not take this medication if you are allergic to sulfur medic to sulfur medication. So we read those other reactions on a client medication on a client chat or on a client in the computer. If you are doing EMA, when you open the EMA, the client allergic medications are written in red on the webboard, on the client chat, and also on the EMA. Um, we have anticholinergic agents. Now, anticholinergic agents, they are mostly in INE. Most of them ends in INE. This medication, like I talked about before, they can cause dry mouth. So when the client has dry mouth, the ankler will not say dry mouth. The ankler might say the client cannot spit. So meaning if you cannot spit out, meaning your mouth is dry, meaning you cannot create saliva to put out. They can have dry mouth. If they have dry mouth, what do we do? They chew gum with all sugar. They chew sugarless gum. If the client, they can also have urinary retention. They cannot urine. They cannot pass urine. In that case, they gotta drink enough water and they gotta like sometimes do other other thing or, or, or give other medication. Sometimes they can they cannot they can have constipation, meaning they cannot shit or they cannot pass stool. In that case, we have to give high fiber diet. Sometimes they're gonna have blur vision. When they have anticholinergic drugs effect, they can have blood vision, meaning they cannot see. So we gotta use other means for them to uh, lubricate the eye. So in this case, we give them atropine. Atropine, atropine can be used to, to decrease secretion and also to decrease acetyl. Atropines can block acetylcholines in the body. So um when you take atropines, um, there will be changes in our temperature. There will be changes in our level of consciousness. There will be flushed face. The client might be testis, uh, testy. Um, these are all drugs that fall under anticholinergic agent, the atropines. You have the bench, the benzopines. <coughs> it also treats, it also treats Parkinson's disease. And also treats extra parameter side effect of other antipsychotic drugs we talked about the other day, the EPS symptoms. These drugs can treat EPS symptoms. Then we have anticonvulsant medication. Example is the dilantin or phenytone. These drugs can treat seizures. Um, you want to always know the level of these medication that is the phenytone level is important to know and phenytone is one of those drugs that cannot be administered with most of the other drugs so when you see in the end class it should raise your eyebrow phenytone can cause gingiva hyperplasia um, so the client will need good hygiene when the client is on it and the client can also suffer from dilantin toxicity um the client can have Poor gait, the client can have poor coordination, the client can have slow speech, the client can have lethargy, 
the client can have diplopia and the client can also have nausea. These are all symptoms of the Juxtin toxicity when a client is on the drugs, uh, I'm sorry, Dalantin, I mean, when a client is on Dalantin medication, they can also have Dalantin toxicity. That's the reason why we also, we always have to monitor the Dalantin blood level to be between 10 to 20. Anything above 20, it will create toxicity, to to toxicity. Anything below 10, it will not be effective in the treatment of the seizure condition. Um, phenobarbital can also treat epilepsy. It used to be the treatment of for epilepsy, but now it, it is wearing away because it has so many different side effects. Um, it can be taken during pregnancy. We can give phenobarbital during pregnancy. We have antidepressant like Cetraline or Zoloft. These drugs can have other side effects like agitation, sleep disturbances, and they can cause dry mouth. So dry mouth um, is also caused by the SSRIs. You remember talking about them in pharmacology, we said SSRI, the serotonin symptoms can be due to dry mouth. So they can also cause serotonin symptoms. Then we have the monoamines oxidase inhibitors, the MAOIs. These are antidepressant. And uh, another easy way to remove this medication is think about Panama. Panama, P-A-N-A-M-A. -A. So these drugs, the P-A are called, they call them the panets. They are the tranecycromine. Tran you have the N-A, the nidal, N-A-R-D-I-L. They include, you have the phenazine. You have the M-A, which is the ma. They include the marplans. The marplan example is the asocarboxazide, the I-S-O-C-A-R-B-O-X-A-Z-I-D. Now, these drugs are used for depression, um, for clients who have depressions. Um, so you will see them a lot. Then you have other drugs for, for them they have metallic taste. For this monoamine medication, they have metallic taste, so they have bad taste in the mouth when you take them. The monoamines. So just, just remember that. So the client might take it and the client might have bad taste. It's normal with the drugs. Um, you, you can rinse the mouth after you, take, after you take it and then it, it can help or you can get a child some sweetener or some sweetener to help you change the taste after drugs injection. Um, then we have amphotericin B. It's an antifungal medication. This drug can cause hypokalemia. The amphotericin the B can cause hypokalemia. So among many other side effects as well, the patient will most likely get a fever. So you want to pre-medicate the child with acetaminophen or Tylenol before you can get the child amphotericin B. The antifungal medication amphotericin B has a side effect of fever. So in many cases, when the child takes this medication, the child will have fever. So the nurse will go ahead and give the child a, 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 a prophylactic treatment for fever, which could be Tylenol. <clears throat> Before they can get it or they can get it Benadryl or Diphenhydramine, Benadryl. Sometimes they can give both Benadryl and that of the Tylenol before administering the amphotericin B antifungal medication to prevent these side effects of the drugs.
Um, another drugs for anti anti medication is called trimetobenzamide. The other name is Tegan, T I G A N. It's the treatment of choice for post op nausea and vomiting. So, if the client has gastroenteritis and the client is having post op nausea and vomiting, they can take this medication. Another drug is the promethazine, the phenigene. So, phenigene can also be used as an anti emetics to reduce nausea and vomiting. You have anti-gout treatment, like I talked about the anti-gout yesterday when doing the question and answer. We said one of the treatments for, for gout is colchicin. Colchicin and the drug's name, I kind of, I kind of get a hold of, I couldn't get a hold of, was allopurinol. So allopurinol, these are drugs that can push fluid into the into uric acid system, into the system to take out uric acid. Because in the case of gout condition, there is increased uric acid. And that's why when a client has gout, we restrict the client protein intake in the case of gout. So when a client has gout, we want to restrict the protein intake, we want to get the client enough fluid, and then we'll get the client allopurinol, which is also just a choice in there. The client can take allopurinol, the client can take probenicide, the client can take cochinsin. These drugs will push fluid into the cells and flush out the uric acid. Do not take these drugs with vitamin C. Now, in the NCLEX, question that talks about do not take this with vitamin C or with this medication. These are things that the NCLEX will deliberately bring to you among your questions and ask you which drugs treatment methodology that the nurse will question. They will ask you the data order probenicide, cochinsin, or the data order allopurinol and vitamin C for a client who has gout. B, doctor order cochinsin and indometacin. C, doctor order, they will give the conversion of these medications in the NCLEX. So in the NCLEX, vitamin C cannot be given along with cochinsin, allopurinol, probenicide. These are anti-gout. So we cannot administer them with vitamin C. It is contraindicated with vitamin C. Then we have other medications for anti-hypertensive, for anti-hypertension and CHF, like hydralazine. Hydralazine has, when you take hydralazine, the client will have a flu-like symptoms. So if the client takes hydralazine, the client will have uh, running nose, renorrhea, the client will have that. The client might have cough. The client might have low fever. The client might have all oh, these symptoms of a flu. So these are things that come with the medication hydrolyzing. So when a client takes this medication, you should be that this will come with the medication. So the client must change their position slowly from sitting to lying position and take meal with the medication. Then we have lithium. Lithium medication is one of those drugs that have a very huge problem when you administer it for clients who have the need for this medication. It can cause nausea, it can cause vomiting, it can cause diarrhea, it can cause tremors. Most of when it has crossed its therapeutic level. Lithium is between two, uh, the, the, the level of therapeutic effect is fell between 0 0.5 to 1.2. It becomes toxic at two to three. Then the client will have nausea and other things. Now, if it goes to, to the client must take in fluid at least two to three, 
two to three liters per day. The climb must increase urinary output and dry mouth can come in when they climb on lithium and we can give monitor. If the client have toxic symptoms, the symptoms are not going away, we give monitor and die marks. If the client have these symptoms for a long time. So we give the monitor, which is a, which is an osmotic diuretics. The client takes monitor, which, which is an osmotic diuretics, when the client is having these symptoms of lithium toxicity that cannot go away. So we want to maintain the sodium intake for two to three grams per day. These are things the client going to be having when the client have this condition. Any question?